Romans 8. Romans 8. Continuing our verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, trek through the Bible. Uh, we're going to hopefully, Lord willing, time willing, be finishing up Romans 8. And this is really the last message of this kind of topic because in Romans 9, it really changes topics. Romans 9, 10, and 11 are all about the Israelites getting saved. And really the importance for us in that is this. The Jews were God's chosen people. And the Jews have rejected Jesus, so we, the church, the Gentiles, have now become saved. But here's the point I always like to say is this. If you think it's good now, just wait till Israel gets saved. And that's when the party really starts. And that's Romans 9, 10, and 11. But we're going to finish up Romans 8 to here today. And what we did, we left off two weeks ago in verse 31 of Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let me read that verse one more time. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That is a powerful verse. If God is for you, who can be against you? Now, here, here's the problem with this verse. You can mark that verse. You can underline that verse. You can highlight that verse. You can stick that verse on your fridge. I can't make you believe that verse. We, we know it. We hear it. We understand it. But do you really believe that if God is for you, who can be against you? Because in my 18 years of doing ministry, this is what I hear. Obviously, God just wants to make my life miserable. I hear things like, oh, obviously, God's against me. Why does God allow all these things in my life? Wait a second. If God is for us, who can be against us? And even backtrack a little bit more. Go back to verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If you're born again and saved, and that means something happens in your life, God says, I'm going to work that for good. And if you remember from our study two weeks ago, here's the problem with that verse. Your definition of good may be different than God's definition of good. What you determine a good life may not be what God determines good. So when something happens in your life and God says, this is good... You may sit there and say, good? How are you getting that, Lord? Because his definition of good is different than your definition of good. And flip that around. Lord, this is bad. Well, my definition of bad is different than God's definition of bad. We have to trust that just as the Bible says, the Lord is good and the Lord does good. His definition of good is better than us. It's bigger than our understanding. And we have to trust that. And so when we really believe, Romans 8, 28, and we really believe, Romans 8, 31, that if God is for us, who can be against us? Like I said, I can't make you believe that. But mark that, live that, learn that, memorize that. Now, do you want proof? Well, the first proof is found in verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but lived him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Think about this point. You want proof on how much God wants to work good in your life. You want proof on how much God loves you. He gave you Jesus. There's nothing more He can give you. That is the ultimate gift that He can give you. So the point is this. If He's willing to give you Jesus, what would He possibly withhold from you? What would He possibly keep from you? What more can He do to show His love? You know what the problem is? God loves you, but for some of you, that's not good enough. For some of you, Jesus is not enough. Because, see, you want the spouse, you want the kids, you want the job, you want the better fulfillment. If I came to you and said, all you need, all you need is Jesus, for some of you, that's not enough. 
If that's what you're thinking, then you fully don't understand and grasp the love of God. Because all you need is Christ. It's not about the spouse. It's not about the kids. It's not about the job. It's not about you feeling fulfilled in life. It's about you understanding what Jesus did on the cross for you. And when you understand that, all of a sudden, what can be against me? What, what could possibly be difficult? Because God just loves me so much that he wanted to give his son for me. And what could possibly top that? Do you really think that there's something in this world, be it tangible or intangible, that's going to give you more of a fulfillment than personally knowing Jesus Christ? If you believe that, you're in for a tough, tough road. Because you're always going to be looking for that one thing. You're going to be constantly disappointed in your wife because she doesn't fulfill you like she should. You're going to be constantly disappointed in your vocation because you just don't feel fulfilled. You go in, you clock in, you clock out. You're going to be constantly unfulfilled with your home and your life and your activities and your hobbies because you're looking for that one more thing. There is no more one more thing. It's Jesus. And when we fully understand that and we look at verse 32 and realize... That's everything. How much more shall he give us? That's everything we need to know. But like I said, for some of you, that's not enough. I don't know how many times I've heard over the years this idea of, I, I want to talk to somebody. And, and, and that's part of what we do. That's ministry. We talk to people. We encourage them. We pray with them. I mean, that's, that's a God-given responsibility. But this is what I've noticed. Sometimes people want an hour with James rather than an hour with Jesus. And I've heard people say over the years, well, it's easier talking to a person. Think about this. Just think about this. And, I, and I'm not saying this to build me up. You have a human being, your pastor, your friend, whatever. A human being. I was created out of mud. You gals were created out of a bone. And then you have the creator of the universe. And you'd rather spend time with a human we have really misunderstood the concept of Jesus. Too often we look at promoting ourselves, promoting a church, promoting a ministry. Forget all that. It's about promoting Jesus Christ. We must decrease, he must increase. So let's promote Jesus because verse 32 just tells me he's everything I need. Everything I need is found in Christ. Now, yeah, but... <laughs> You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know my sins. You don't know my struggles. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. What, who, who can say anything against you? The Lord has chosen you and justified you. Justified, fancy theological term. Just as if I've never sinned. God makes your account clean and right. He pays off your debt. What, what could anybody possibly say to you? So you go into school tomorrow, you go into work tomorrow, and somebody's mean to you? Who cares? You are freely forgiven by Jesus Christ, and you have heaven awaiting you in all of eternity. Do not let what somebody says steal or dictate your joy in any way whatsoever. It amazes me as believers, knowing these things, that God works for the good in all things, that there's nothing else we need other than Jesus. Verse 33, who can bring a charge against me? Why do we walk around defeated? Why do we walk around as, woe is me? I hear that all the time. I'll be talking to someone, 
And, they, and I'll tell them all you need is Jesus. You have heaven waiting for you. You have salvation. That's all you Yeah, but you don't know what's going on in my life. My response always is you don't know what's going on in my life. We have this tendency to think that our life is the toughest. No one here is suffering physically like you're suffering. No one here is suffering emotionally like you're suffering. No one here has a rough marriage like you. No one here has problems with their kids like you. And we have this mindset that we've created of this woe is me and how difficult everything is. And verse 33, God is trying to tell us here, wait a second. You're chosen by God. Who can say anything against you? You are justified. You have heaven waiting for you. And he goes one step further, verse 34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. That word condemn, that word condemn means that you're passing sentence with authority. So someone's condemning you, they're putting you down, they're attacking who you are. Well, Romans 8, 1 just says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. No one can condemn you. You have Jesus making intercession for you at the right hand of God. Have you ever thought of the heavenly scene? The Bible tells us this is the heavenly scene. We have God sitting on the throne, God the Father. To his right hand, we have Jesus. And then what we have is we have Satan who goes before God the Father and makes accusations against the brethren. That's what's going on in the heavenly scene. Now, there's a fascinating term for Jesus, and it's found in 1 John 2, verse 1. 1 John 2, verse 1, if you're a note taker there. It's called an advocate. An advocate literally means in the Greek, defense attorney. So this is the scene in heaven. God the Father is sitting there on the throne. Jesus is standing beside him to the right. Satan's making accusations. Every time Satan makes an accusation against the church, the body of Christ, guess what Jesus does as a good defense attorney? I got that covered. I got that taken care of. My blood has covered that sin. That's what Jesus does. He is standing before God, excuse me, beside God, constantly intercessing for you all the time. So when you're sitting there, and you've you convinced yourself that no one cares, no one understands, and it's just you versus the world. Jesus Christ has decided to be your defense attorney and stand before God the Father and say, I want to make intercession for you. Think about that. Think about the next time you come home and your day has been the worst day ever. Hold on a second. God says, I work good in your life. God says that nothing can be against you if I'm with you. God has already told us I've given you everything through Jesus. He says, who can bring a charge against you because I've justified you? And who can condemn you because I'm interceding for you? He has done it all. Does that mean we don't have bad days? We don't have rough times? Of course we do. But through it all, there has to be a mental mindset of what Jesus has done for you. And since when you know that, it completely changes the way you think and the way you act. Because look at verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Jump ahead to verse 38. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing should be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You heard me say it. Do you believe that? Do you honestly believe, verse 35, whatever tribulation you face this week, whatever distress you face this week, it's not going to hinder your walk in relationship with Christ or his love that he has for you or your love that he has, you have for him, I should say. Nothing can happen to you this week that can hinder that. 
Do not allow any external circumstances to dictate your joy in life because your joy in life is based on Jesus and what he did for you alone. Now, you've got to know that. And if we know that, we need to live that. We need to believe that. Because I don't see that in the church. And when I say the church, I mean the church here in the world in America. I don't see powerful Christians that are not affected by the world. I see believers that are on this up and down all the time. It's good. It's bad. My life is great. My life is horrible. Come on, get off that train. Because look at verse 37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. A lot of times I don't see conquerors in Christianity. I see defeatists. I see people being Christian in name only, walking in defeat. They're not walking in strength. They're not walking in joy. They're allowing their life to dictate their joy, their peace, their love. They're allowing tribulation, persecution, distress to dictate who they are. And the proof of this passage is it's not about what we're going through. It's about who we know. It's about trusting that he will work good in all things. It's about trusting that no one can be against us. It's about trusting that if he gave us Jesus, what could he hold back from us? Jesus is enough. In fact, one of the songs we sing out here is, he is more than enough. That's all you need. You know what the problem is with this? We have a tendency not to focus on Jesus. I remember after 9-11 happened, and I was watching one of the programs, and they had a uh, national prayer time, prayer service. Maybe you remember this. And all the big political leaders were there, and they had somebody representing the Christian faith, they had somebody representing the uh, Muslim faith, and they had somebody representing the Jewish faith. And a very powerful, prominent uh, American politician got up and read Romans 8.38, and this is what he read. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Stop. He never said, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the key. See, if you really want to make friends... Talk about prayer, talk about heaven, and talk about God. Don't mention Jesus. Jesus is a dividing thing. Jesus himself said, and this is one of those passages that we don't put on too many Christian shirts. Do you think I thought, did you think I came to bring peace to the world? Remember what he said? I did not come to bring peace, but what? A sword. He goes, I've come to turn fathers against sons, mothers against daughters. And he has his long list. Yeah, those are the Jesus passages we skip over. What is he saying? If you're here this morning and you claim to be a Christian, just break this down with me. Christian, Christ, Christian, follower of Christ. So as a follower of Christ, I believe what Jesus Christ taught because I'm a follower of Christ. So since I follow Christ, I believe that Jesus said that he is the only way to get to heaven. I believe that Jesus said there is a heaven, but there's also a hell. I also believe that I sin. I am a sinner that keeps me out of heaven. So as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, that is what I believe. And when I claim to be a Christian, I am saying there is a heaven and a hell. And the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. And your sin will keep you out of heaven. That's fighting words right there, people. This is why we water it down. This is why we say God. Heaven, love. 
but wait a second. If Jesus did everything for me, verse 32, if God has elected, chosen me, justified me, if Christ keeps me from being condemned, why am I not proclaiming this? We're too busy. We're too busy with work. We're too busy with life. We're too busy with our calendar being full of events. We're too busy with projects at home. We're too busy with moving. We're too busy with job transitions. We're too busy with ministry. We're too busy serving that we forget about the Savior. It is not about us. It's not about these four walls. It's not about Harvest Fellowship. It's about seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ be spread in all that we do and say. Nothing else matters. We're going through Peter in our small groups. 1 Peter 4 teaches that we're supposed to be serious and watchful because the end is near. Guys, if we really believe the end is near, we really honestly believe that Jesus could be returning and that's going to usher in a tribulation, antichrist. We really believe this. Why are we not living like that? Why do we not get up every morning and just say, Lord, send me one person that I can hopefully show your love to? Lord, just just one person that today that I can maybe impact for Christ. And, And maybe it's just saying, I'll pray for you. Maybe it's just saying, here's a verse or just something. You know, before I get out of bed, I I always pray the same prayer. It's out of James where it says that my life is just a vapor. Who am I to know what tomorrow will bring? Lord, here's my day. This is what I want to accomplish. But it's not about my day. It's it's you, Lord. Everything. What do we do? I go into Walmart and I start praying, Lord, whatever cashier I'm having, maybe there's an opportunity to share. I, I, I stole this from a pastor friend of mine. Anytime we go out to eat now, when our waitress brings the food, before we pray, we always stop and ask the waitress, is there anything we can pray for you about? Every time we go someplace, Lord, how can we minister for you? As you know, we uh, weren't here last Sunday. We just got done with school a couple weeks ago. And we always take the first few days of May off, go do stuff with the boys. Things get pretty crazy out here June, July. And so we got a little bit of time in May. Okay, boys, let's go focus on you. So we got away for a few days. And we went to this town. Um, I'm hoping I'm pronouncing it right. It was a little bit of ways away. It was called Finley. So we went to scenic Finley. I hope I'm saying that right. And there was this hotel in Finley. And we found this hotel because it had indoor pool. If you have, remember your kid age, indoor pool is big. And plus it offered a free breakfast, free supper. So Dawn told the boys, you're eating whatever they offer. We're not buying anything. Here it is. So we go down to the pool. We spend hours in the pool. Now, as we're at the, there at the hotel for a few days, you run into the same people. So we ran to this, this young gal. She ended up, her name was, her name was Catherine, and her name, her, she's 12 years old. So Catherine kind of kept being in the pool when we're in the pool. Now, Catherine's mom were there, was there as well. And we could tell that Catherine was not from, you know, the area there. She was speaking with a kind of a heavy accent. So we knew she wasn't from the area. So as we're talking to Catherine, and you could tell she wanted to play with our boys. She was just fascinated. You know, with our five boys, whatever area we go in, we just kind of take over. We don't mean to. It just kind of gets that way. Dawn and her infinite wisdom bought the boys squirt guns. They squirted everything, you know. It's... So anyway, so Catherine starts playing with us. So it's like, okay, guys. We're going we're gonna to minister to Catherine. We're gonna, we're, this, this is the Lord's opening a door here, guys. So we're going to start praying that we can talk to Catherine. So Catherine's playing with us. So Catherine, you know, you know what is your name? Her name is Catherine. Oh, okay. Uh, where are you from? From Finley. Okay. Well, you know, where are you from? Well, she's actually from Beijing. 
She's been in Finley for two weeks. So we're talking to Catherine here, hoping the Lord opens the door to Catherine. Now, Catherine's mom is always sitting a few chairs away, never gets involved or anything like that. So as we're talking to Catherine, I'm like, okay, Dawn, the Lord has opened the door with Catherine. You go talk to Catherine's mom. I'm going to talk to Catherine here and see where it goes. You know, Dawn doesn't care about Jesus, so she didn't want to talk to Catherine's mom. <laughs> so somebody had to go talk to Catherine's mom. I mean, we, we had to. So I went to go talk to Catherine's mom. So I go up to Catherine's mom. Catherine's mom's name is Rachel. Now, I don't think their names are really Rachel and Catherine. So I'm talking to Rachel, and she works for Marathon. She's over in Finley now for six months. She's just fascinated with America. She's been here for two weeks. And I'm like, okay, Lord, this, this is the opportunity. So, um, you know, what do you do? She goes, she asked me, what do I do? So I just kept telling her, I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. It didn't go anywhere. Um, <laughs> only thing she wanted to talk about was China's one-child policy. She goes, you have five boys. I said, yeah, we got five boys. We are blessed. The Lord has blessed us, etc. And You know, and you're hoping for that opportunity to really share. And it didn't happen. But we still wanted her to really know how much Jesus loves her. And she was just fascinated by with the five boys. You know, five. So we gave her two of her boys. And just said, <laughs> in the name of Jesus, take these two. And that's why you only see Ken and Judah and Elias here today. My, my point is this, if we really honestly believe, we really honestly believe that it's all about souls, it's all about Jesus, and, and the end is coming, we got to change the way we do stuff, people. Because if it's all about Christ, then it's all about Christ. When you go into work tonight or tomorrow, it's not about your job. Yes, work as if working for the Lord. It's about ministry. When we go into Putnam County or Henry County Fair or Groutsville Giveaway. It's not about promoting Harvest Fellowship. Who cares about Harvest Fellowship? It's about promoting Jesus Christ. It's about the souls coming to know Christ. That's what matters because if we really believe what Romans 8 says, we really believe this, then I really believe that if you are a born-again Christian, God works good in your life. I really believe that if he is for you, who can be against you? I really believe that no one can bring a charge against you because you're justified. No one can condemn you because Jesus makes intercession for you. And I really then believe, verse 35, that there's no tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, or sword that can separate you from God's love. So that way, when you face difficulty this week, tribulation or distress, nothing can separate you from God's love. Why would we not want to tell people this? Because for some of us, Jesus isn't enough. It's not. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Can I have a bigger house? Your sins are forgiven. Amen. Thank you, Lord. I'm so lonely. Can I have a spouse? Maybe the Lord will give you a spouse. Psalm 37, he gives you the desires of your heart. If your desires are in line with his desires, then nothing's going to stop you. But what about just Jesus? Do we really believe this? Are we really sure in verse 38 that I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present or things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some of you came in today and it was a struggle to get in here. You're struggling physically. You're struggling emotionally. You're struggling spiritually. Nothing that's going on in your life right now can separate you from the love of God. Some of you have had a really rough week couple weeks, six months, 
you needed to hear that you're more than a conqueror in Christ. You're more than a conqueror. That word conqueror actually means hyper-conqueror. That's what it literally means. You're not just a conqueror. You're a hyper-conqueror for the Lord. Some of you have come in today, and it's going good. In fact, it's a great season of life. Well, guess what's going to happen tomorrow now, you know? No. But when it does happen, are you going to remember that you're more than a conqueror? Or what's going to happen when you go into life or school this week and you run into somebody who's struggling? Are you going to be able to tell them, listen, I know where you can find joy and peace. I know where you can find forgiveness of sins. I know because look what Jesus did for me. Here's the problem. A lot of us don't walk in that conquering mentality. So why would I want to share Jesus with somebody else when I don't even feel it myself? I go back to the first point we said, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things of God is for us who can be against us? I can't make you believe it. You can mark it, highlight it, underline it, write it out, type it out. You've got to believe that. That if God is for you, who can be against you? It completely changes who we are and what we do. With that being said, we want to close with communion here today. Because I think communion is a wonderful time for us to really stop and say, Lord, I need you. I heard a pastor say one time that communion is the closest we can get to being at the foot of the cross. Now, some of you know this. Just let me repeat this. We have out here at Harvest what's called an open communion policy, meaning we do not have church membership. If you're here today and you're part of the body of Christ, if you're born again and saved, we want you to partake of communion. Now, there's two things I want to say to that. First off, if you are here today and you are saved, I do believe this is important. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. I believe it's important before we partake of communion, especially as believers, that we have a time of confession to the Lord. Psalm 139 says this, Search me and try me and see if there's any iniquity in me. So we're going to do that. But most importantly is if you're here this morning and you have never had that opportunity to really confess Christ and to accept Christ, I just want to make this clear to you like we said earlier in the message. There is a heaven, there is a hell. You will live on forever. You are an eternal being. You will either live on forever in heaven or you will live on forever in hell. It's both a reality. Now, your sin has kept you out of heaven. God is holy, you are unholy. That's just a fact. The only way for you to have entrance into heaven, for that door to be unlocked, is by accepting what Jesus did. He paid a debt for you that you can't pay yourself. Now, when you understand that and you accept that, you are saying, Lord, I accept what you did on the cross for me. You paid the debt that I could not pay. And so now I choose to live for you, follow you. I don't just randomly believe in God. We ambiguously throw that, oh, I believe in God. The Bible makes it clear that the demons believe in God. I am saying that I put my trust, my life in your hands, and Jesus, I want what you want. And so when Jesus says, follow me, I follow him. Now, if you've never done that, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to know that, to understand that, to grasp that. And if you want that, oh boy, Corinthians says it's the simplicity of Jesus. There's no magic words to repeat. There's no bowed head, raise your hand. Is if you want that, You say, Lord, I want this. That's all. 
I want that. I want that forgiveness. I want that new life. The Bible uses a term, born again. You've become a new person in the Lord, and you are born again, and you're now a child of God. And if you've done that, or if you want to do that, you grab me, grab Renee, grab Rich after church. We want to get a Bible in your hands. We want to talk to you and explain to you what this relationship with Christ really means and looks like, because that's all that matters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word says we're supposed to examine ourselves. And I pray that right now there's just a spiritual flashlight going on in our lives. You're revealing those areas of sin that we struggle with. You're going deep into our lives to reveal those areas that we don't even want to look at. Doors and closets we're not even opening. You open those up. And we confess to you. Lord, if there's someone here who does not know you, I pray your Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment as we speak, showing them what a real relationship with you is. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy. Let us now just go privately to the Lord and just open our hearts to him as we just confess and examine. Who can bring a charge against us, Lord? It's you who justified us. Who can condemn us? It's you who makes intercession for us. Who can be against us? It's you that with us. There's no tribulation, there's no distress that can separate us from your love. Thank you in your name. The guys that are helping with communion would come forward.